Hello and welcome to The Retirement Gym. This is the podcast series that aims to help you make good retirement decisions in the lead up to retirement and how to spend your money through retirement. My name is Roy Thompson. I head up MHA Carpenter Box Financial Advisors. We're a firm of independent financial advisors who do a lot of work around the notion of retirement planning. Today, I've got with me Phoebe Stone. Phoebe is Head of Sustainable Investing at LGT Vestra. Um, She joined there as an investment manager in 2014 through her natural interest and charity work. She took the chair to head up their sustainable range in November 2018. Sustainable investing, perhaps used to be called ethical investing, now more commonly known as environmental social governance or ESG for short, has become more and more popular uh, in recent years. And that's accelerated, I would say, uh, through the likes of the coronavirus. I guess when we think about retirement, we're trying to consider how we can make our own finances last through our retirement. It would seem sensible that there is a link to how we can ensure that we leave the world in a better place than perhaps uh, where it is just at the moment. So there seemed a natural link to ESG investing uh, and Phoebe's got very good experience in that area. Uh, so hello Phoebe, thanks for, for for joining us, thanks for coming along today. Uh, hi, nice to see you, yeah. <laughs> but uh, So uh, the, uh, the the topic of conversation I guess is around sustainable investing, the, the, the modern acronym that's given to that is ESG, which uh, stands for Environment, uh, Social and Governance. Uh, that sounds like quite a quite a mouthful. Uh, I guess for listeners, they would be more used to ethical investing, which was historically what it was known as. Do you, do you want to tell us a little bit about what's evolved over the course of the last few years in, in, in this sort of sector of investment uh, and why that's evolved? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So I think lots of people are familiar with ethical investing. Ethical investing can be traced all the way back to the Quakers, um, whereby they wanted to exclude some activities or sectors from the companies that they invested in. And that's really what ethical investing is. You're taking an investment universe and you're reducing it based on a set of values or belief systems. It's also referred to as SRI investing or socially responsible investing um, and also uh, exclusionary investing. All of these phrases um, really mean the same thing, whereby you're reducing your investment universe. You can go down a very exclusionary route by which you're left with a very small investment universe. But things have moved on quite considerably since that quite rudimentary style of, of, of investing. And ESG investing, or as you say, environmental, social and governance investing, has become extremely popular. What this type of investing is, is the incorporation of these environmental, social and governance factors within an investment decision. If we think of traditional investing, all um, an investor would really think about is financial factors of a company. So it could be revenue projections or profit margins, um, and those are often um, explained to investors using various ratios. So price earnings you might have heard of, price to book, return on equity. What ESG investors look to do is, yes, of course, incorporate those financial metrics within their understanding of a company, but they also look at these non-financial metrics. So, for example, the environmental factors may be how much water is used in the production process of the company. 
um, the carbon emissions, the carbon footprint, how much renewable energy is used, where the company sources raw materials from. Are they responsibly sourced, for example? Under the social banner, you've got things like the health and safety um, policy of the company, the health and safety record, whether the company offers flexible working, how diverse the workforce is, what the employee satisfaction levels are, and of course, consumer satisfaction, as well as things like supply chains. Finally, from a governance perspective, independence of the board is a really important one, uh, remuneration policy of that board, bribery and corruption. And you can start to see these are incorporating lots of other factors into your understanding of how that company operates. Mm. Um, and it provides more of a holistic picture, really, in your understanding of the company's operations. So because you have those more, that, that, that increased number of data points, more and more investors are starting to incorporate these non-financial factors into their investment decision. What's been really interesting is there's quite a lot of academic evidence to suggest if you invest in companies that have higher scores from an ESG reason, uh, from ESG perspective, then often you're able to generate stronger financial returns, so higher share price performance. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is if the company is managing its environmental risks well, the governance risks well, and the social risks well, it's likely to be an indicator that the company is better managed. And of course, better run businesses generate stronger returns for shareholders over the long term. Absolutely. So, so I, I guess, you know, when you start looking at some of these data points you referenced there, and I, I'm aware of some of those. So, um, you know, many people would think of, uh, as I say, some of the things like climate change, that would probably deforestation, some of those things would come out uh, at the forefront of most people's minds. But what you're saying is that runs deeper than that. And it always goes through to the, the, the governance of the company, the, the, the board that's in place, the remuneration structure. So all in all, it's about making good decisions across the whole of the company. Is there, you mentioned there's quite a lot of academic studies there that would show uh, this is a, you know, this gives a bit of a plus side for the investor. Where where are they sourcing that data from, and and how historic is this now looking? Or, you know, so so how strong is that evidence that's starting to come through? So well, one of the um, studies I most often refer people to is is a meta study. So it's a study of studies. So it amalgamates over two hundred and fifty different studies on this subject matter because there's an awful lot of people doing. Um, analysis on this and what this meta study does is shows the relationship between all these studies um, and the outcome uh, you can actually go back uh, as far as two decades on on this particularly on the governance side uh, and you do raise an important point maybe the environmental data or the social data isn't as as long term but certainly the governance data very much is and a lot of that information is actually in published accounts of companies um, so the academic evidence does go back um, and there is an awful lot of it around so I can always um, send you the, <coughs> the study of, <coughs> sorry the study of studies for the for the show notes for this yeah. podcast if that's useful that would be much appreciated um, I guess a, a cynic might say well look you know if I'm running a bank or something of that nature um, the the consequence of my carbon footprint uh, on the surface, might look fairly minimal. I could score quite nicely from an 
ES and G perspective because I'm concerned about my carbon footprint, but actually from a profitability point of view, how does that really impact me? So are you able to give perhaps a, a bit of an example of um, you know, how that might look and why that actually is important? Yeah, absolutely. So um, carbon emissions can be split into scope one, two and three. And without getting into much granular detail, scope one and two is what's ordinarily published today. Uh, in fact, only 10% of companies publish scope three. Scope three is looking further than just operations. It's looking at things like business travel, which to an investment bank might be uh, very, very high. So first of all, it's about understanding exactly what the scope of, of the data point is. And fortunately, more and more companies are being pushed by their investors, uh, people like LGT Vestra, to disclose more and more um, of the data. So the scope three will provide a really interesting insight into a, into a company um, like, like a bank. Um, but also it's about going one step deeper. So many banks uh, lend money to companies with high carbon intensity, particularly companies in the fossil fuel space, whereby the companies are holding on their balance sheets um, uh, sites, for example, uh, oil excavation sites. Uh, so uh, oil sites that are reserves that are partially being um, excavated. What's really interesting and what we've seen evidence of very, very recently is fossil fuel businesses having to write off uh, large asset groups, and these are called stranded assets. They're having to write them off because the burning of these reserves is incompatible with many of the targets that uh, countries have set, up, set, set, set themselves, for example, the Paris Climate Change Agreement. So the Paris Climate Change Agreement looks to restrict temperature increases to 2% pre, uh, um, above pre-industrialized levels. Mm. Um, in fact, if you go one step further and looks to re- look to reduce temperature rises to 1.5% above pre-industrialized levels, 85% of all fossil fuel reserves globally are unburnable. Mm. And a big percentage of those reserves are on the balance sheets of fossil fuel companies today. If we think of BP a couple of weeks ago, um, and we're we're recording this in July for for listeners, um, so back in June, BP had to write off 17.5 billion sterling, so pounds, worth of assets because they they saw them as as unburnable, Um, Mm. partially because of things like the Paris Climate Change Agreement and also the decision by BP to look to try and pivot their business towards a more sustainable uh, transition to a low carbon type model. The banks in your question, this is a very long winded answer, the bank in your question would be lending to these types of businesses. So yes, their scope one and two carbon emissions may be low, but actually the risk within their business model might be much, much larger larger because these fossil fuel producers might have to uh, write off a lot of stranded assets and therefore what is their ability to pay back that debt Mm. wow so and i don't think many people uh listening would think about it in that deeper nature so um it's really insightful to start to understand that this is what's going on at a corporate level with major companies that are listed here in the uk and of course internationally and that's going to have a profound effect moving forward i would guess so do you see a scenario where we, we've now entered a, a, a pace of travel where people are starting to, to, to monitor this sort of aspect of their business that will continue and, and, and continue, i.e. there'll be more and more detail available as time goes by? 
Yeah, I think absolutely that's the case. Um, what's been really interesting is that the presence of COVID-19 has accelerated the interest in this. Um, I think there was a lot of concern from people inside and outside the sustainable investment industry that as soon as we approached an economic crash, that all interest in this space would disappear out of the window because people have other things to focus on and worry about, when in fact the complete opposite has happened. Mm. The fact that there is now so much focus on sustainability, on the environment, on social issues as a result of this uh, economic turmoil that we're going through, I think has placed sustainability as um, exposure of data or um, as a, a point of strategic difference really very high up on many corporates agendas. Mm. Um, many businesses now had a, have a chief sustainability officer that reports directly into the CEO and a sustainable investor. If that chief sustainability officer doesn't report into the board, then that, that's, a, that's a big red flag. If, for example, they report into a subsidiary of the, of the business. Yeah. Um, but many, many companies are taking this, these issues extremely seriously and even more seriously than they did at the end of last year. Mm, it's amazing. And I guess things like social media now, where you can be called out, if you're a board member, uh, the last thing you want is your company to be called out on social media because of you know, malpractice or, or, or not following some of these, if you say, guidelines. But... Um, you know, desires of the, the potential investor. Is that right? Yeah, social media is one big uh, driver, but also the markets themselves. So if, if, if investors are increasingly demanding higher and higher standards from corporates, let's think of um, a major fast-moving consumer goods business. If they, if they have um, signaled that they're only going to be using sustainable palm oil in all of their products, the competitors around them that haven't gone to that degree, at that length, they're going to be in the spotlight. Um, and that's a real life example that we've seen play out over the last couple of years. There is a business that spent six years making sure that all palm oil that's used in all of the products, so this company produces thousands of products, all comes from sustainable sources, mm -hmm. i.e. plantations that have been there for many, many years and are not causing deforestation. But that's put a lot of pressure on everyone around it in terms of the businesses in that peer group. Um, and the peer group businesses that haven't gone to those lengths have seen share price pressure. And yeah. if there's anything that makes a board and the, the boardroom sit up and think and listen, it's impact on share price. Yeah. So you can really see investors making changes and, and moving the needle with regards to um, how these corporates are operating because of their disinvestment in, in companies that aren't taking these issues seriously. Mm. So, so when you start analysing companies from this point of view, you, you get these data feeds from a variety of different areas. What, what do you do to then overlay uh, the good companies that have a positive ESG standing um, compared to the companies that have they've still got a positive ESG standing, but their financial performance perhaps doesn't match up? How do you differentiate against the two? The first thing that you can see on my job description is the fact I am an investment manager. So yeah. first and foremost, I'm looking to invest in strong businesses, strong investments that are going to generate good financial return. Uh, and more than that, strong risk-adjusted return for your clients. But the byproduct of that, if you're investing in the right businesses, can be a focus on sustainable companies. So it's not um, a trade-off between sustainability and return. It's about finding the companies that are financially viable and have really focused on minimizing the environmental and social um, impacts of their operations, or in fact, businesses that are looking to actively solve 
a major global challenge. And we haven't spoken much time, spent much time talking about this, but the kind of impact investment space where the companies could be actively looking to provide solutions to climate change or resource depletion or healthcare and education. Mm. And that's an area there's a lot of focus on and something that we uh, very much utilise within the portfolios that we run. I think that's good to hear because, uh, you know, that probably is, uh, you know, corporate governance is really going to be very exciting for people. It's quite nice to know that where they're investing, um, people are following good good practice. But actually things that, uh, if we think of this uh, podcast called The Retirement Gym, um, you know, we have increasing longevity. What we want is sustainable investments for that longevity of, of lifetime and for us we pass on to to our children i guess within that some of this impactful investing is going to then end up being the new big companies that we see in the next 20 30 years so is, is, that, is that right is that when we start looking at impactful investing is, is that what you're looking for yeah i think that's absolutely right so the impact investment companies today do tend to be more of the smaller mid-cap space so so slightly more niche Um, But I think you're absolutely right. In the next 20 years, those companies will be the mega cap names that we're so familiar with today. Those are the companies that are facilitating recycling of plastic or recycling of water, an extremely important theme that doesn't really get much airtime, but of course has a massive financial benefit as well. Um, And then on the social perspective, companies providing education or access to financial services to many parts of the world that you otherwise wouldn't have access to a bank account. These companies are held in the portfolios today, but I think those will be the ones um, that grow and become increasingly dominant over the next couple of decades. Do you break down your investment philosophy so you've got more in that impactful space or more in the governance space, or or do you look at it across the whole spectrum of the ES&G headline? So the portfolio can be uh, split to, to someone like me who, who, who runs it um, between sustainable and impactful. And this is getting to quite granular detail, but the sustainable bit is companies that are, the end product or service might just be a computer or a pair of trainers, but that company is producing what they're producing in the most sustainable way possible given their circumstances. So those companies tend to be uh, referred to as sustainable leaders or companies scoring well on an ESG perspective. So there's absolutely a place for those types of companies in the portfolio um, because that investing in those types of businesses does drive change. Like I've mentioned that example earlier, mm. whereby um, you can force the hand of, of, of boards given the share price movements. But there is exposure to the impact space. It is, it is smaller uh, given the fact it's slightly more niche. The companies tend to be smaller mid cap, so, so larger than your mega cap names. Um, in the equity space and then within the bond space, we can get exposure via specific um, bond funds investing in things like green bonds and social bonds. Okay. Green bonds and social bonds are bonds that are issued by a company or by a, a country, but the sole proceeds of those bonds have to be ring fenced towards a specific project. So effectively, a corporate goes to market and says, I want to borrow, let's say, a billion dollars. And I can be clear with you that this billion dollars is only going to be spent on the building of a wind farm. Mm. So as an investor, I know exactly where my money is going. It's going towards that wind farm project. I get um, reports on how that wind farm project is going every year and actually how much renewable energy has been generated from that project. So Mm. it's very, very pure. But it's only a small part of the fixed income market today. 
So we yeah. only have a small exposure in portfolios to those types of investments. Okay. So you're matching your exposure to these different investments to, in essence, the risk that they carry. And you might have a slightly smaller element of the higher risk um, offerings and, and a larger element of the slightly lower risk, traditional, bigger companies that you might uh, a consumer might recognise, uh, but where they're showing good governance. Yeah, exactly. And the social and the environmental aspects as well. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and are you finding from this that um, there's a particular, uh, so again, if we think of this podcast as the retirement gym, it, it, you might traditionally find that this sort of investing is done by, you know, people might call them millennials. Um, but my experience is now that this is becoming a far wider thing and it's actually uh, generation is not an issue. You know, it's all people are starting to show an interest in this type of investing. Is that is that your experience? Absolutely. And that, that's what a lot of the evidence shows as well, whether it's survey evidence or evidence in terms of people in, investing their actual money in their space. Yeah. Um, I think what's really interesting is that people reti- uh, approaching retirement or in retirement are starting to think about what their money is producing other than just financial return. Yeah. Um, and if they are thinking about passing some of that money on, yes, it's monetary inheritance, but what kind of world are they leaving behind? What kind of world do they want their children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren to inherit? I think investing in companies that are strong from a financial perspective and also behaving responsibly and sustainably is, is increasingly important to people, particularly mm-hmm. now that it's, it's quite clear that you don't necessarily have to sacrifice investment returns for, mm-hmm. for looking to position your portfolio in this way. Yeah, Phoebe, that's that's really useful. So, uh, you know, I think if we were summarising, um, good corporate governance, impactful investing done in the right way can, can evidence or can provide some evidence of outperformance in terms of returns in certain circumstances. Moreover, if that investment is doing a good thing, we're adding to the sustainability of, of the world that we live in, which is a positive, not necessarily just financially, uh, but actually for, for, for us all as human beings as well. And actually as a private investor, I have a choice about whether I want to invest in those sort of areas. Uh, and that's certainly something that you uh, would encourage a conversation with a financial advisor about to open up and, and, and help understand some of the points that we've spoken about today. Is that a sort of a fair summary of what we've, what we've gone through? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's increasing numbers of people wanting to have that conversation. Good. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Before you go, I've got th- uh, three questions for you that, uh, um, that that we've asked people who've come on. So uh, they're not too strenuous, so uh, hopefully you'll be okay with them. But favourite day of the week? Oh, good one. Um, probably Wednesday, because I'm in my flow. I, I like working, so I'm actually going to choose a weekday. Um, I'm in my flow with work, but then not exhausted by the end of the week. So you're the first person who's done a non-weekend date or a non-weekend date. Oh, dear. I was pretty convinced no one was going to come up with between Monday and Thursday, but you've gone slap bang in the middle of the week there, Phoebe. <laughs> Unusual, maybe. <laughs> Commitment to the cause. Uh, so one piece of advice you'd give to someone down the pub? Down the pub? Um, yeah. Right now? <laughs> Get in the queue. <laughs> in the queue, or behind when you're at the bar. 
in normal time. No, get in the queue. They need to get in the queue to get oh, their get beer. The That's good advice. Yeah, stay two metres apart or a metre or whatever. <laughs> get away from me. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and uh, a bit macabre, but what's your funeral song? Oh. Um, okay, I don't know if this is... Uh, what this says about me, but um, I don't know if you're a David Bowie fan, but he has a song called Five Years. Do you know that one? I don't personally know. Oh, Ziggy's, it's on the Ziggy Stardust album. Okay, but uh, yeah. but, and that's the one that's that good song. Know. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Bowie, yeah. That, that's a big name, so I'm sure there's going to be many people listening who can recognize that. So, uh, good stuff. Phoebe, thanks for joining us and uh, thanks for going through that. I think it's really insightful and uh, the information we're starting to get through on this form of investing is, is, you know, is ever growing and becoming more popular. Uh, if anyone listening um, wishes to go through that in, in more detail, please contact us at uh, MHA Carpenter Ox Financial Advisors and we'd be more than happy to help. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening today. If you're concerned about the impact your investments or your pensions are making uh, on the world and wish to consider a sustainable approach with sound governance, you can find more information at lgtinvestor.com or carpenterboxfa.com. You can always find a link through to one of our financial advisors who would be more than happy to talk to you in more detail about this, how this affects your own arrangements. For now, thanks very much.